Fitzgerald. She's not here with us uh, this morning. Uh, she's actually in Singapore uh, to attend the ordination uh, of uh, her brother into the gospel ministry. And uh, that's a blessing to my heart because there's another man uh, that uh, uh, surrendered or surrendering his life uh, for Christ and indeed uh, for his cause. And so uh, Ruth is traveling. Uh, some of you are back. I'm glad to see you back from all your troubles. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's family, isn't it? We miss you when you're not here. Uh, but uh, we're so glad uh, that uh, you're back with us uh, and uh, all of that. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, we, um, or I have entitled this uh, series, of course, as uh, Ready for His Return. And uh, let me remind you again uh, that perhaps you were wondering uh, that uh, this series, you thought that it will be about a series on prophecy or on eschatology or the doctrine of future events. It is and it will be, beloved. Uh, but uh, uh, if you remember when I did the introduction to the series, that this letter of Paul is not just prophetical but also personal for him and indeed practical as well. Now, I have entitled the series as Ready for His Return uh, because that is my desire for you. That is my desire for me, for all of us, indeed, to consider our ways in these last days and how we live our lives uh, in this moment. Uh, and we, of course, do not know how long or how short we have until the Lord comes, or at least for us to go and meet him in the air. But as we do, uh, we would ready ourselves for one day, beloved, there is going to be a day of reckoning, a day of accounting. Uh, what we have done in the body, whether it's good or bad, at the judgment seat of Christ. And as your pastor, that is my yearning desire to get you ready, not only to establish and strengthen your faith, but also to encourage and admonish you to be ready for that day of reckoning. That when you and I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, that indeed we would ready to reap our rewards because of our faithfulness, not to keep, but to cast. At the Savior's feet. Oh God forbid that one of us or none of us I pray. That we would stand empty handed. That we would stand before God Almighty and indeed the Son of God. And when we face him in glory. That we are indeed ready. To cast the crowns. That we would gather because of our faithfulness to him. But you know, as I attempt to encourage you and admonish you, confession time here. This epistle of Paul is really hitting me. Personally. Every time I look at this epistle at the moment, and I've warned uh, myself, I knew how difficult this letter would be for a pastor to preach. Normally, another pastor would come and preach this message to a different congregation, but uh, I took the opportunity to do so. 
Here in this epistle, as we've been learning, Paul documented in this letter what a pastor does. What he is, or who should be, uh, who he should be. What he says, and here in chapter 3, we have learned a little bit last time, and will continue again this morning, Paul revealed through the believers in Salonika uh, what he feels as a pastor. And as I read through the epistle, I cannot help but make personal applications as I should. My dear ones, the standard for the man of God and indeed his ministry is high and rightly so. It is in many ways unachievable. Somebody said, Pastor, how do you do it? Only, only because of the enablement and indeed the grace of God. I understand there were moments during my preaching of late that I've shared my heart with you and at times it's been emotional. I don't know how you are taking that. But please be assured that I'm not having a pity party up here. I really am not after your pity. Rather, I covet your prayers. Your prayers that I would be the pastor that Paul have outlined in this letter, even in a small way. But again, just to refresh your memories, in chapters 1 and 2, we find Paul ministering to the believers in Salonika in person. But afterwards, towards the end of chapter 2 and onwards after that, we find Paul was in absentia. Absentia. You remember his enemies stirred up an uproar against him, and he was forced to leave the city of Thessalonica. Consequently, he couldn't forbear, and I trust you still remember how strong and how emotional that word when Paul used it. I don't have time to detail that again. He couldn't stand, Paul, the separation that he's having, him being in Athens and the believers, the young believers at that at Salonika. He was so concerned about them uh, that they were just newly saved. They really didn't have a mature church leadership. Uh, and Paul was anxious. Uh, Paul was concerned that the tempter, the devil, will overwhelm these young believers, especially in the times of afflictions and indeed persecutions at the time. And so even though he needed Timothy to be with him, he sent him back to them so that he can establish and strengthen them in their faith. And so Paul, now having reunited with Timotheus and Silas at Corinth, having heard Timothy's report about the Salonicans, he now writes back. That's why we have this epistle. He now writes back to the believers at Thessalonica. And because of that, would you stand with me as we pick up the account here? First Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll pick up the narrative in verse 6. 
First Thessalonians chapter three, verse six. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we leave. If ye stand fast in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Father, thank you once again for the opportunity, indeed for the privilege to preach your word. Father, you could have chosen any other man to stand before this pulpit today. You could have chosen another person that's probably uh, far better than, uh, than myself at this time. But you have so chosen and ordained me to do this before your people. And so once again, I trust in your enablement. I pray for unction and power from on high. That as I deliver your word this morning, help me again to preach it accurately, compellingly. And Father, I pray that you would meet with us as you so promised. Give us a receptive heart. Give us an enthusiastic heart to receive the engrafted word. Let people see you and not the person that's talking. Help us to listen to that small, still voice that you speak to our hearts today. And we make all personal applications to what we will see, hear, and read. We do ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. But now, there is a sense here that as soon as Paul heard Timothy's report, um, uh, he now uh, writes back rather quickly. He immediately wrote this letter. That's the sense that we have in here. Now, notice Timothy's report, and we would do well as a church. We would do well, indeed, as a church to take note of this report and make our own personal applications. Now, but before that, notice how Paul described this report. He called it, he referred to it as good tidings, good news. Yoangalitso is the word here. It's the same word used for evangelizing. 
like the good news of the gospel. That's how ecstatic and that's how emphatic Paul was about Timothy's report about the believers there in Thessalonica. Now, to him, to Paul, that is, uh, it might as well be like the good news of the gospel. That's how good it is for him. Now, why is it such a good news? Now, look with me here in verse 6. It's still good news uh, about their faith. Timothy gave Paul a report about their faith. Now, again, remember... Paul was only there at Thessalonica for a very short period of time. Uh, commentators may di differ a little bit here, but some three weeks, maybe a month and, or so. Uh, and so for him to hear that the Thessalonians kept the faith or stood firm in the faith, Paul was over the moon, so to speak. His labor was not in vain. And as we learned previously, they just did not listen to Paul uh, as if uh, Paul and his preaching, as they would like any other philosophy or ideology. No, they listened to it as theology. Now remember Thessalonica and the way that it's located and the history of it. It's, a, it's in a hub where uh, travel is frequent. And so they're so used to hearing and, uh, and seeing people that have different philosophies and ideologies. Now they received it as God's word in truth. And so Paul was thrilled to hear and to know that they have kept the faith. Also notice a good report about their love. Uh, their love. The inference here, beloved, is their love of Christ, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, and His Word. Their love for each other, and indeed their love for the lost or the unconverted still at that time. Now remember the Thessalonians uh, were the guys that sounded out the Word. Remember that? The word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, not only in Achaia, but the Bible says that in every place, as we have learned previously, so that Paul uh, uh, would testify that they need not to say anything more because the Thessalonians did it. And so good report on their faith, good report on their love. Still here in verse 6, this is encouraging. They have good remembrance of Paul and his companions. They appreciated Paul. Even only he was there for a short time. Now you have to understand. Paul hearing this report. After all the false accusations. His enemies said of him. That he was just in it for the power. That he was just in it for the money. That he, was, he really didn't care about them. And that's why he left. Uh, they forgot to mention that the reason why Paul left is because they stirred up the trouble for him. So uh, all these accusations that were uh, leveled against Paul, etc., etc. And so Paul, hearing it from Timothy, that the Salonicans did not believe the false accusations about him, and that they have good remembrance of him, uh, that they are appreciative of him, that they were thankful of him, uh, that they did not believe on the accusations, he must really be thrilled, and who wouldn't, to hear someone testify of that. 
Every one of us would like to hear some good report. And so Paul, hearing it from Timothy, that that was the case, he was just too happy to hear the good news. And then notice, they had a great desire to see uh, him. As no doubt, Paul, as we learned previously, had a, 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 a great desire. He cannot forbear, remember, to see them as well. Wow, this is so different from the reception that Paul had uh, as he experienced with the Corinthian church. Uh, in fact, in chapter 12, uh, uh, verses 19 to 21 of 2 Corinthians, I don't have time to detail this, but Paul was fearful uh, and therefore dreading to come and see the Corinthians because he says, For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. Uh, that means I am fearful to come to you, Corinthians, because I know when I get there I'm not going to like what I see you doing. And I'm, I'm not going to be what you want me to be. And all we're going to end up doing is have conflicts and have problems uh, through debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. That's all in that verse. And again, I say, who would want that? Can I say it to you again? These sort of things in the church are never edifying, beloved. They are exhausting. Exhausting. And it takes us away. It takes us away from what we should be doing. And Paul was really encouraged to know and hear that the Salonicans had a great desire to see him again. Oh, Calvary Baptist Church, listen. Oh, how I pray that we would have the same report card, if you like. A, a, a good report on our faith in the Lord and his word. A good report on our love for the Lord, our love for each other, and to the lost out there. A good report on our remembrance of each other in the good and not the bad. To see the good in each of us. And oh, how I hope and pray that we have that yearning desire to see each other in this place every Lord's Day and every other time there is an opportunity to do so. Oh, how I pray that that will be our report card, if you like. Now notice... What this good news did to Paul and his compa uh, companions. And let me tell you, it is the same uh, for this pastor and other pastors out there. Here in verse 7. Uh, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Remember what we learned last time. By the time Paul arrived at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, turn there please, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, here in uh, verse 3, so we just uh, remind ourselves, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, here in verse 3. 
and I was with you, Paul said, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, why is that? Again, let me remind you, after the uproar, after all the trouble and the stirrups that the, uh, the, the man uh, did uh, uh, to Paul in Thessalonica, he then went to Berea. And those same lewd fellows of the baser salt, the Bible says, uh, actually followed him at Berea and did the same thing. They stirred up the people, spreading all sorts of lies about Paul. I say again, your enemies will not relent. They will find you and follow you and will continue to attack you. And so even at Berea, it wasn't a pleasant and productive experience for Paul. He then had to leave this city yet again, this time to Athens, where the Bible described that place to be a city wholly given to idolatry. Imagine that. Here is Paul by himself contending for the place, contending for the faith in a place filled with philosophies and ideologies about multiple and pagan gods. That must be wearisome, beloved. Have you ever experienced that? Going in a place, you're by yourself and you look around you. There's no other believer, at least that you know of. And the place is filled with idols. And I have been. And it's not a nice feeling. And so Paul was in this situation. Uh, from there, uh, he went to Corinth. And again, we know what Corinth and the Corinthian church is like. And so we can understand why Paul felt the way that he did. You see, beloved, even the strongest amongst us, even the strongest amongst us, and here we find Paul, uh, he even needed encouragement and comfort from God during times of spiritual battles. And so when he heard the good report from Timothy, he was comforted. He was encouraged. The Greek word is parakaleo. Uh, Paul was consoled by this report. He was strengthened uh, even. You see, he sent Timothy to encourage the Thessalonians, but when he heard Timothy's report, he himself was encouraged, and oh, what a beautiful manifestation of encouragement between pastor and congregation. Beautiful. You know, I've never suffered afflictions and persecutions uh, and I don't think I will ever be I will ever suffer the persecutions and afflictions that Paul had but I confess to you I had to battle times of discouragements times of dissolution times that disturbs my inner soul. And over the course of time, one wonders whether it is worth it. We 
whether you are really making a difference in the lives of people. Whether you're really making an influence to make better believers of God's people. And as the years of ministry roll on, you wonder whether your years of service are actually appreciated. Or better yet, not even that. Like I said, whether you really are helping others become better believers for Christ. But you know, God is gracious all the time. For every minute discouragement, there's always a mountain of encouragement. For every bit of criticism, God will make sure that there is someone that will say an encouraging word. It comes in in different forms, a little text, a little card. And praise the Lord these days, the encouragements outweigh the discouragements. And it's uplifting to the soul. Indeed, it makes the ministry bearable and encouraging and cheer you on to keep on going, to take everyone with you for the glory of not the man, but the Savior. The writer of Hebrews was right all along when he said, listen, ministering with joy and not with grief is indeed profitable, not only for the pastor, but especially so for the congregation. Back in our text here in verses 8 and 9. For now we live, if we stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Here Paul continued to write and express his joy. It's like him winning a million dollars, if you like, or getting to his brand new house, or perhaps his brand new car, or awarded a trip to a, a trip of a lifetime. Oh, but no, it's better than all of that combined, beloved. Paul said, For now we leave. Wow. His joy in life is not in the material, but with men. And women standing fast, standing firm in their faith. He showed the same attitude with the Romans in chapter 16, verse 19. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, uh, uh, on your behalf. He was glad of their obedience and of their faith. In same, the same thing he did in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in verse 4. On the occasion again of their obedience and finally repenting from the many issues Paul had to lovingly rebuke them about. This is the Corinthian church of course. He said, great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding 
joyful. That's Paul. For the Corinthian church. Can you believe it? Paul wrote the same sentiment of thankfulness and joyfulness at Philippi. To Philemon. And this joyful feeling is the same as what the aged apostle John said to his children. Uh, 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 to his uh, children in the faith. Third uh, John verses 3 and 4. For I rejoice greatly. When the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. I have no greater joy, he says, than to hear that my children walk in truth. Oh, my dear Calvary Baptist Church, get it. There is no greater joy from this person and need your pastor uh, for, for me to know and see that you are all standing fast in the Lord. That all you are standing firm. In the faith. Uh, sure, I pray for you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I do. But my primary prayer for you, and indeed myself, is that to be ready for his return. To stand fast in him. To walk in the truth of his holy world while waiting for his imminent return. Verse 10. Night and day. Praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in you, in your faith. To perfect that which, what, that which is lacking. You know, this church, our church, and we've just celebrated our 50th anniversary. But can I say to us all, we never fully arrive we never stop learning about the Lord and indeed his word. Many have come and gone from this place. I look at all of you this morning. Some of you have been in the faith for so many years. Praise God for you. Praise God for your faithfulness. But that is not a guarantee as you know. That you know all that there is to know about the Lord and his word. Amen. There is so much more to know. Some of you have only been saved not that long. Some of you have come from different faith groups, perhaps been taught a different doctrine. And therefore you, as well as others, need to be taught, need to be discipled, need to be established and strengthened in the faith. Now, I'm not saying, of course, that I or we as the Baptist denomination have all the answers or the monopoly of the answers. We do not. But what I do know is the word of God is a living word. It is and will never be bound. Not by man and not by any other means. It will stand the test of time on this earth. In fact, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away, the Lord said. I don't know a lot, but I know enough to know. That a genuine believer is indwelt by the Comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, who shall teach him all things and bring all things to his remembrance, whatsoever the Lord said, John 14, verse 26. I also know that the Lord Jesus has gifted his church. We're seeing it right now unfold before our eyes. People are coming. People are wanting to join the fellowship. People are wanting to contribute. Indeed, not to sit, but to serve. And oh, I am so excited. What 
the day ahead for us is. And so I pray, and I know you are praying for us in the days coming. Uh, I know that he has gifted our church um, with uh, apostles in that context, of course, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and for what purpose? For us all to come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine uh, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. How do we do that then? Uh, by speaking the truth in love. That's our motto as a church. That we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even as Christ. And what is the end result of all of this? From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of self in love. Love. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, of course. I say it again. Love and indeed love for the brethren is the greatest of virtues. Listen to Paul when he said the way of love. Though I speak with sons of men and of angels and have not charity, have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Listen, my dear ones, and listen well. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love bonteth not itself. Is not puffed up. That means love does not boast. Love does not brag. It's not born out of pride. It's not puffed up, the Bible says. It doth not, listen, it does not behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek at home. It's not easily provoked. Think of no evil. Thinketh of no evil or ill of anyone, not even doing evil to anyone, just thinking. It's definitely not in love or done in love. Rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth, but whether there is prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, 
they shall cease and it has ceased. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Oh, beloved, you and I can be the smartest person in this assembly. But if we do not have love in our hearts for the brethren, we are nothing but a tinkling symbol, a merely an annoying noise. That's what it is. Noise. Paul wasn't enough. He's just a mortal. He can make mistakes. Although he wrote this under inspiration. But listen to what the Lord Jesus said. You have heard that it had been said. Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the, get it, evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not the, even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. The Lord Jesus further said, after he was asked by a smarty pants lawyer, uh, saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Notice what and how the Lord answered. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. That is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Listen. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all. Hang all the law and the prophets. Is it any wonder the Lord Jesus gave his disciples and any of us who would claim to be a follower of Christ. He gave us a new commandment and this is it. This is it. John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give unto you. That ye love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye love one, ye have loved one to another. My dear ones. Has it ever occurred to you why we are not being the salt and light that we ought to be out there? Could it be? Could it be? Because we can't even love one another in here. How can the world see us as his disciples and true followers of Christ? Because even in here, we can't exercise love one to another. Jesus said, by loving one another here is the sure way that men would know that we are his disciples. Allow me to make you squirm even more from your seats. First John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 says, 
We know. Watch the words of the Apostle John. We know that we have passed from death unto life. Okay? Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Verses 24 to 25, and this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. Do you love the brethren? If not, then maybe you need to examine yourself whether you are in the household of faith or not. Back in our text as we close. Here in verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. One toward another. And toward all men. Even as we do toward you. To the end. He may establish your hearts. Unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Church, do you want to be ready for his return? Ready for his imminent coming? Do you want to be unblameable in holiness before God? Here's the answer. Increase and abound in love toward one another. Where are you at this morning? There's a lot that we have covered here. How is your individual report card? Are you standing fast? Standing firm in your faith? How about your love? Your love for the Lord? Your love of the brethren? And your love for the lost. Do you, like the Salonicans, saw Paul in good remembrance? Do you see your brothers and sisters here in the same way? Seeing the good in them, not necessarily the bad in them. Are you longing to see each other in this place? Like Paul, you cannot forbear to see and fellowship with each other. Do we all understand that ministering to each other in joy and not in grief is what makes it profitable for the church? And if we are to be unblameable 
in holiness before God. And if we are to be ready for his coming, to be ready for his return, that we are to increase, abound in love one toward another. The Lord Jesus, after his resurrection, asked Peter three times there at the shores of Galilee. He asked Peter if he loved Jesus. Can I ask you, do you love this church? B, do you love this church? Linda? Do you love this church? Sophia, do you love this church? Do we love this church in the way that we ought to? Do we really love it for all that it is? For all the imperfection in each of us? That we are all just sinners saved by grace? trying our best to live our life pleasing to the Lord by His grace? Do you love the church in spite of you fill in the blanks? Some of us have got a lot to say. So I'm asking you, do you love the church in spite of I'm concerned sometimes we treat each other as enemies than brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know, if that is so, we've got no excuse. The Lord Jesus commanded us even to love our enemies. And so why are you here? Why am I here? What is our motivation for being here? Let me say it like Paul said it. To the end. That we may be established in our hearts. To be unblameable in holiness before God. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads for prayer please. Eyes closed. No one looking around please. And if you invite, I invite you, if you need to come to the old-fashioned altar, please do so. But do you love the brethren in this assembly? Do you love the brethren in this church? You see, every waking moment of our lives these days, we see hatred. We see hatred all around us. My dear ones. Oh, my dear ones, can we not bring that in here, please? Can we just come one day in a week on the Lord's Day to have a break from the hatred that is out there? Can we not bring it in the church of Christ? That in here, as soon as we enter this building, that we could somehow have a choice and an understanding that we can trust each other. 
because we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. All sinners saved by grace. Can we make a conscious choice to love even those that are difficult to love? Why? So that the world out there that we keep on saying we need to reach would know that we are true followers of Christ. Father, Oh, Father, I pray. We as your people, old Christians, young Christians, will just not go through the motions of church. Then indeed, Father, we would practice how and what it is to be an ecclesia, To be a church of people that would genuinely want to worship you. To genuinely want not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. To have the yearning desire to be pleasing first of all to you and then to each other. Oh, Father, I pray that indeed in the society of our day that we would not fall into the trap of following after the thoughts of the world. Help us, dear God. Indeed, as Paul has reminded us again in this letter, and indeed, Father, that we would be blameless unto holiness before you. That indeed we would be established. Strengthened in our faith. For all that we will say and do. Help us to make personal applications. What we have heard and learned today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Hymn number 325.